At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, I have the uh, honor to bring the Word of God to you today. Very excited about it. And uh, I'm going to, well, thank you. I don't do it for the glory. <laughs> um, I, uh, as a show of hands, I'm going to start today's sermon off a little bit deep. Um, how many of you in here are hurting, are in pain, or just emotionally worn out? You, may, you don't have to raise your hands. Maybe you can just say an audible, mm-hmm. Um, but as, as I share this next story, um, think in your own life, what tragedy have you lived through? What is something that you have lived through that has brought you to your knees, that has made you sob in pain? Um, those kind of stories that rock your world. Think about that one. I'm sure it's easy, right? It's very easy for, for us to think about the traumatic things that we have lived through. Uh, my story is my wife and I have been married for five years, praise God. I, I, I love being married to her, and uh, I firmly believe that God has created me to be a husband and a father. Um, and we've always wanted children, right? And we enjoyed those five years of marriage. I think every couple should use that time to enjoy time by themselves, uh, but we decided it was, it was time for kids. And so we started trying, and um, back in 2020, uh, probably a, a terrible year for a lot of you, um, we, uh, we successfully got pregnant around, I don't know what time, uh, but unfortunately we lost the baby in, in May. Uh, she was 11 weeks pregnant, and as you can imagine, uh, we were very expectant, we were very excited to have this new joy in our life, and it was ripped away from us and we, we lost the baby, but we are confident we will meet this baby girl uh, at a, another time in heaven. Um, we even, uh, she was going to be our Christmas baby. We had bought booties for her. We were going to have her in December. And I don't really believe that I was prepared biblically on how to lament that kind of loss. You know, being, I, was I was raised in the church, um, and I've never actually gone through a series like the one that we're going through of lamentations of how to lament and so I've really benefited from learning how to do this, but during that time, I think my wife and I really grew closer to each other and grew closer to God. Um, but think through your own life. What areas have you lamented properly or biblically or improperly? And it, we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit more, um, but that's kind of how I've learned to grieve. That was one moment in my life where... I don't really know if I did it properly. And I appreciated the support of our church family and my, our physical families. Um, but within that area, I don't know if I was prepared. And so Jeff, in the last couple of weeks, has described two options that the world presents when we're presented with uh, these traumatic moments in our life of either we can just fall into deep depression you know, we can kill ourselves, we can have suicidal thoughts, which is a big option that the world offers. Or number two is that we can turn to distraction. 
that we can turn to substances or other things to distract us from the pain and not actually deal with it properly. So is there a biblical way on how to lament? I truly believe the Bible is, a living, is the living word of God. It should apply in every area of our life. So why should it not apply to our traumatic and sorrowful moments in our life? So as we're walking through this series that I described, uh, it's often neglected and it's a forgotten book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. So if you would open up your Bibles to Lamentations, it's... Uh, It's a very hard book to find, but if you go in the Old Testament, Jeff described it last week, you find Psalms, which is the biggest book of the Bible, just right in the middle. Eventually, you go to the right, and you find Jeremiah, and it is the book right after Jeremiah. And so in Lamentations, as we've studied this book, we've been given uncomfortable access to this devastation of Jerusalem around 587 B.C., This is when the Babylonian armies of Nebuchadnezzar invaded, destroyed, and carried off into exile the people of Judah. This loss was so horrific that it had like imprinted this traumatic image into their minds. This was their D-Day. This was their Pearl Harbor. This was their 9-11. This was that moment for them. And through the five chapters of this poem, perhaps written by uh, Jeremiah, we've discovered a powerful and important spiritual discipline that we today are frankly unfamiliar with and uncomfortable with, which is the practice of lament. Now, this is a test. We've gone through the definition of lament, and I'm going to fill in the blanks for you, or you are going to fill in the blanks for me. A lament is a prayer in pain. Five stars for that person. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. Thank you. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so the four steps that we've learned about laments thus far is that we need to, number one, turn to God. Number two, bring your complaints. Bring your complaints. That is a biblical thing. Number three, ask boldly. And last, choose to trust. And so that's the model that we're following after. And as a recap from last week, Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff has described that we are called to acknowledge the pain that we're in, and we should remember that God we serve and his character. Remember the God that we serve. And so this gift of lament allows us to hope even during times of fill in the blank, through miscarriage, through death, through murder, through overdose, through whatever pain that you have been through. It gives us hope to get through that. This is what the poet describes. And this is one of the most spectacular statements in the entire Bible. Uh, He says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is your faithfulness. That's often like, um, I always see that verse on like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Right? It's always by like peaceful still waters. But with this backdrop, knowing what Jeremiah and Jerusalem have gone through, it is written in deep, deep sorrow. And it culminates in this statement of great is your faithfulness. He says it in pain. And today we're going to explore that even further. When you are face to face with injustice, how should we respond and what elements are necessary for that journey of lament towards hope? The first one is that we need to remember the heart of God. Remember the heart of God. Let's pick it up in Lamentations 
It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. For the Lord will not cast off forever, picking up in verse 31. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not affect from his heart or grieve the children of men. In the historic, in the historic context of this book, as I've already described, Jerusalem had been slaughtered, carried away as prisoners. As a nation, they were guilty of idolatry. The presumed uh, author of this poem knew this well, and he stated this in uh, Jeremiah 2.13. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So evil number one, despise God. Evil number two, prefer dirt. Is that not essentially what it is? This is the very essence of evil, to assess the infinitely valuable, all-satisfying God and then turn away to other things that don't satisfy. It's incomparable. Broken cisterns or cisterns that will satisfy and nourish you. This is why judgment is coming on Jerusalem, because of the sins that they have committed. And so Jeremiah makes these strong declarations after the suffering of Jerusalem. The first one is that God is good to those who are seeking and waiting for him. Right? We should remember the heart of God. And the first is that God is good to those who are seeking and waiting for him. Have you ever heard the verse or the saying that God's mercies are new every morning? God's mercies are new every morning. Another way to put it is those who do not wait, do not see the mercy because new mercies come, but not until the morning. You get that? And so if you give up before the sun rises, you miss out on seeing the light of God's mercy. Jeremiah didn't say that he's in a black hole void of hope. Instead, he turns from that mindset to describe a black night that will turn into day. A black night that will turn into day. So I described how my wife and I went through a miscarriage. Well, now we have a, a beautiful baby boy. Um, we had him back in April, and uh, he's a terrible, terrible sleeper. <laughs> um, but you think about children, that at least the rudimentary lessons that I'm learning now as a father is that uh, children should have a sense of day and night. That when they go to sleep, they know the day will come. Except my son. He does not. Um, but you should, I know, right? And so eventually, you know the day is coming. That is how the rhythm that God has given us, that's how we know the day is coming. And so the, the mercies of God are new every morning. They, it, you, they're not always going to end but we know that they will continue in the morning, especially through the suffering that we are continuing uh, to live through. And the second declaration is that in the face of grief and suffering, sorrow will not be forever. That's a hard pill to swallow when you're going through something, but it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. The third is that it is worthwhile to be shaped by God's goodness in our hardships. From the earliest seasons of our life. That way our life has the benefit of faith-fueled lament. I recently saw a, uh, a Facebook post from a, another pastor friend of mine, and he described uh, this beautiful illustration. 
so I went to Pikes Peak with my family uh, probably a few years back. And as you're driving up Pikes Peak in Colorado, uh, eventually, as you're going up this mountain, uh, the tree line starts to, to disappear, right? Are there any nature enthusiasts out there? Well, as in the very, uh, the valley lows, you have this deep vegetation, this nourished greenery all around you. And as you're going up the mountain, eventually that disappears. And so you hit the mountaintop and there's like nothing. On the top of Pikes Peak, it's like desolate. There's nothing growing up there. And isn't that true of life? Like when you're going through the worst of the worst in your life, in the valley lows, at least Afterwards, you realize how much you grew from that, of how much growth that you experienced. But that necessarily doesn't always happen in the, mountain, in the mountaintop experiences of your life. And so as you're going through this deep sorrow, it can bring growth. And so we, what we learn here that Jeremiah describes that it's, it's worthwhile to be shaped by God's goodness in our hardships that we are shaped by God's goodness through that. And the last is that God would again show compassion and the affliction wasn't what his heart truly wanted. We see a, um, a difference between God's love and also God's anger. We don't often talk about how God is an angry God. One, one theologian puts it this way. He says, I, we have several verses in Scripture that tell us God's anger will not last forever. That indeed is something that makes Yahweh incomparable among all other claimed deities. And then another theologian says it this way. God gets no pleasure from inflicting pain on people. His judgments are not the way he wants to relate to humanity, but are his response to human sin are his response to human sin. So you look at the difference between other gods, little g gods, and our God, big G God, Yahweh. Um, I, I love exploring different religions. I love studying them. And in Hinduism, you have a little g God uh, called Kali. Kali is the goddess of death and destruction, uh, she is worshipped as a goddess who devours all things. It is a god of hatred and death and destruction. And so what, how does the god that we serve differ from this man-made god? What, what is the difference? The Yahweh, the king of kings, lord of lords, how does he differ? Well, the anger of the Lord is driven out from his perfect love. Just like a parent, when he is angry, he does it out of justice. He sees the sin that we commit. He sees the sin that Jerusalem has committed, and he cannot let that be. So for a time, he is angered by that sin, and he rightfully so justifies their sins. In Psalm 103, it describes this. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. So Jeremiah's point is slightly different from the psalmist in Psalm 103. He is not only drawing attention to God's character, which is perfect and just, but he's also dealing with our response. Our response 
And so in mourning evil, we must call to mind that the heart of God is good. It's driven out of love, out of his holiness, out of his justice, and ultimately guiding us towards ultimate joy, which is what? Himself. That is where ultimate joy can be found amidst this terrible suffering that you are going through. Where do your thoughts go through the, in your grief, like that specific situation that you called to mind at the beginning of the sermon? Where does your mind go in that grief? It's easy to wonder different questions of, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? People are having happy lives over there. Why am I going through this? And we have this tension of knowing God's character is good, that he is a good God, but not feeling good in our current circumstances. Knowing that God is good, but not actually feeling good. And this is where we can find ultimate comfort amidst our sobs of pain. That when my sin or the sin of my community at large causes suffering, it is life-giving to know God's heart is rooted in steadfast and faithful love. So what is an area of your life where brokenness and sorrow are threatening to suffocate your faith? And how might remembering the purpose and heart of God adjust that pain? So calling back to Psalm 103, Jeremiah isn't only calling onto God's character in his lament, but also uh, displays his response. So the second point is we should carry our cry to the Lord. Carry our cry to the Lord. Picking up in verse 55, it says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me. O Lord, judge my cause. You've seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. So carrying our cry to the Lord should be our response to knowing who God is. The author turns to God, who has seemed so very far away and uncaring amidst Jeremiah's suffering. And far from ignoring, God hears. Not at all distant, God comes near. The opposite of abandoning, God takes up the cause, the very farthest thing from being blind to their agony, and God has seen. God has seen. Psalm 77.2 reminds us of this need. It says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. I seek the Lord in the day of my trouble. Not only in the, in the mountaintop experiences of, of our life, but also in the, in the valley lows. Is this your response? Have you ever cried out to God in pain like this? The poet expresses despair in verse 49. He says, My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. And then at his very lowest, he cries out to God, I called on your name, O Lord. I called on your name. And this is a model for us to cry as well. God's answer? 
This is the one time that God answers in Lamentations. Do you know what he says? He says, do not fear. Do not fear. Through everything you're going through, do not fear what you're going through. With that, I have an illustration of a woman named Cheryl Beckett. I have a picture of her right here. Cheryl Beckett, uh, she worked in Afghanistan for six years as a community development worker and a Pashto interpreter. And she spent her time there reaching uh, and loving and serving Afghan women. Um, this was an area where the Pashtun saying was, a woman's place in, is either in the home or in the grave. So it's not a great environment for her to share Jesus. But she was there. And she was an amazing missionary. Along the way, she planted gospel seeds. Well, what, what I wanted to share today is uh, one of her friends had, had written this piece about her, about her life. Um, this is her, her, like her diary on September 11th of 2010. This is what she says about Cheryl. She was a beautiful soul who never failed to lift my spirits with her joy in Christ. Our time together in June was, was precious, although at the time I didn't realize just how precious. I don't expect a good answer why at 32 years of age she should be taken. She brought so much strength to the team and she poured the love of Jesus into the Afghan people. There are already so few there, so few willing to go there. It's hard for me to write about her. I'm, gonna, I'm going to miss her and miss hearing her pray. Cheryl had a way of praying as if she were talking to her best friend. And now she is with him. She never took her eyes off him. A few days ago, Beth shared a song that Cheryl wrote, which was drawn from Isaiah 43. I'm not going to sing this song. I don't know how it goes, but it, it rings true. The waters came today. The rivers ran deep. I saw the waves today. I watched them crashing over me. I was drowning in despair, and I couldn't get up for air. Then I heard your voice calling out to me. Fear not, I have redeemed you. Fear not, for I have summoned you by name. I'm taking you by the hand. I've placed your feet upon dry land. I will be with you. You will not be swept away. I felt the burn today, saw the flames beneath my feet. Walking through the fire today, I can't take this heat. I'm drowning in despair and can't get up for air. Then you hear your voice calling out to me. Fear not, I have redeemed you. Fear not, for I have summoned you by name. You are precious in my sight, so don't give up this fight. Her friend later describes, Lord, look now on your servant Beth and give healing to her heart, strength as she feels the weight of the cross she now embraces. She died for this cause. She wrote a song describing her pain and her anguish, and she gives us a model of how we should cry out to God. Songwriting is one of those ways. So experiencing pain and death, she carried her cries to the Lord. So church, we should choose to turn to God. Choose to turn to him. Let's carry our cries to the Lord when we are going through pain. Follow or embrace church family. Embrace your life groups that you're experiencing life with. And be honest with your pains that you're going through. What are we saying if we don't carry our cries to the Lord? Aren't we indicating that we want to handle this without him? Aren't we revealing that we don't think he is in control anymore and that he can't be trusted with this pain? 
We should have a purposeful faith that brings our complaints and our cries to the Lord. Jeremiah clearly shows this is a biblical thing. It is not wrong for us to do this. This is a biblical and right thing to do, that God is willing to listen to us. And his response is, do not fear. So we turn to God knowing, his, knowing for certain that he can be trusted. And last, we should wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. In verse 26, it says, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And the last two verses of chapter 3 says, You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. It's a strong language. Jeremiah shifts from God is my enemy, right? That's what we were learning is that it seemed like God was Jeremiah's enemy and Jerusalem's enemy, the way that he was judging them, rightfully so. And now he turns to God is my ally. God is my ally. Jeremiah prays for justice against Babylon and he trusts that God will make things right. He declares this because he has faith that it will even happen. And it's biblical to pray for your enemies like this, that God's justice and for God to forgive our enemies twofold, that he, would, that he would judge our enemies, but also that they would experience the love and compassion of Christ that we all have experienced. And so we, would, we should fight for justice in our world here in America, in Warren, but we should also Give this over to the Lord, saying, God, justice is yours. I trust in you to fulfill this promise. And this echoes the way that we began in Lamentations 3.26. It says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. One should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Are you trusting in God enough to wait quietly for him? Or are you trying to take matters into your own hands? And so this does happen in history, right? Jeremiah is bringing his complaints to the Lord. He's saying, judge these people in Babylon, Lord. He doesn't see that, but eventually in history through, uh, through Daniel, he does bring salvation from Babylon. And God was going to provide for the rescue of his people. And we know eventually in Revelation, we know the end of the story, that all tears will be wiped away and that everything will be redeemed that all hope and joy will be fulfilled. So the pain you're going through right now, it's, it's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. Jeremiah says, and he trusts in God, thy will be done. And this should be our battle cry as Christ followers, but often it isn't. We want our way to come through. And so Jesus himself demonstrated thy will be done as well. He says, thy will be done. In fact, we learn to wait on the Lord. We have the benefit of knowing the very method by which God has most ultimately carried out justice for us in Jesus. In Jesus. God did carry out justice. It was through the person of Jesus. Through his resurrection. And so lament, even without answer, even without resolution, shows us how to process the pains the pains that we experience. But it also points to a greater moment, the greatest moment in history that was still to come. 
a moment that solves our greatest problem. That Isaiah says, there was a time when the Son of Man was under the wrath of God. There was a time when Jesus felt as if he was the hunted, the prey, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He knew no sin, yet he did not open his mouth. Jesus was the lamb, and the Father was the person with the knife. In this moment of suffering and abandonment, Jesus turned to the Hebrew songbook and quoted Psalm 22, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, faithful to carry out justice, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might be dead to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That is what is offered today. You can have life in Jesus through the death and resurrection of him. Jesus sings a song of lament, one that we are too familiar with. Only this one, when the world went dark, we learned two perfect pieces of information that Jesus lamented on the cross as he was dying, providing an amazing example for us as we go through our pain, but also provided the greatest motivation for our hope in lament, which is the cross. That God has carried out justice, that our sins are paid for. And all we have to do is accept that. We find ultimate hope and consolation in the cross. Our hope and consolation in any pain and finding joy is in the heart of a powerful, just, and faithful God to whom we can turn to. Do you believe that, church? So, ultimate justice. Have you repented of your injustice against the God of the universe? We always want God to carry out justice against the people that we don't like, but what about us? God, repent. I repent of my sins. Have you repented of your sins? Have you responded to God's work towards our injustice by accepting his grace and his rescue? And then the justice in the world, this is a topic that was very high talked about in 2020, was it not? Are we identifying those hurts and pains in our world where God's justice is not yet seen and choosing to lament alongside of those who are hurting? Are we hurting with those who are hurting? We are called to weep with those who weep. Have this compassionate attitude We should orient our hearts towards a kingdom mindset and radically compassionate attitude. Our big idea for the day is that lament is the means to weep with those who weep. Are you crying with those who are hurting right now? Are you coming alongside of them just as Jesus would? Or are you trying to offer advice and and, and provide whatever may else help them? But we are called to weep with those who are hurting. Come in to that low place and meet them where they are at. Lament allows us to express and mourn with others. We learned that lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Right now in your mind, name that lament, name that pain that you described in the beginning of the sermon. What have you gone through? What is the worst moment that you have ever experienced in your life? Well, today, um, in, the, in the bulletin, there was a handout that looks like this. On this, uh, there are four categories that I want you to, this is your homework. I'm giving you guys homework today. Um, there's four categories. It says, turn to God, 
bring your complaint, ask boldly for help, and choose to trust. What I want you to do is to compose your own prayer of lament with the ingredients discussed, is what it says on there. And you're welcome to share with our church office. There's an email on there or share it on our social. But if, if not for everybody's uh, case, but do it, do it for your own good. Write a cry in pain that leads to trust in God. Like, apply this to your life and actually do it. We know that his heart, through God's heart, that we can carry our cry to him and wait on his justice, which has already broken into our world. So as I end out the sermon, um, I'm going to read this corporate lament prayer that I did not write, but is so beautiful. Um, so, so would you pray with me as, as I pray this last prayer? This is carry your cry to the Lord. God, we are weary. We are weary. It seems there is no end to our pain. It seems that we are continuing to reap from our rebellion against you. There are many days where we don't even know how to start. Our own lives are in constant disruption and we face constant heartbreak and pain. How long will this last? Your church's reputation and mission seem to be ever more impossible by our standards. Will you keep delaying and bringing vindication to the glory of your name? We hear constantly of new injustices and cannot fathom the answers. We learn often of our own community's guilt and oppression and harm, and we are torn between shame and blame and repentance. Hear us today, Lord. We turn to you. Who else can we place our hope or entrust our complaint than to you, God? Remember the heart of God. Because we have known your heart, Lord. We see it in each of your world, in our world. The glimpse of your image and good design, of your creativity and love. We see your heart in the way that you've created this world, broken as it is, with sunshine and warmth and green and beauty. We praise you for that grace. We see your heart in the way that you have rescued and saved us. Though we hated you and longed for our own way, what wonderful love is this. We look to you where our help comes from. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. So God, today, by your spirit, teach us to wait on you. Give us your love and vision to see how your justice and mercy have intermingled in gracious love. Help us to know more profoundly the way your radical holiness has driven you to sacrificially give your life for us. Allow us the strength to lay down our lives as you laid down your life for us. Make all things right, God. Provide for the needs. Protect the helpless. Send your church out to be mediators of your ways. In the middle of our sorrow, we praise you. We are in awe of how you have been more faithful, more good to us. Guide us in this lament that we may weep with those who are weeping. You are ours, and we are yours. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.